This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Um, this week, we spent a whole lot of time talking about Nazis. Nazis in Canada. Nazis in the House of Commons being given standing ovations by our members of Parliament. Uh, as you know, it cost the Speaker of the House of Commons his job. It's led to formal apologies on behalf of Parliament and the country from the Prime Minister. It's been a bad week, really bad week. Throughout it all, as I said, I've avoided the conversation about the bigger picture until now, because I think there are two very important stories here, and I've really felt it's important to keep them separated. Um, and some of you have called to talk about, you know, the various reasons that Yaroslav Hunka may have become a member of a Nazi military regiment and what the situation was in Ukraine at the time, and it's not as clear-cut as we may think we may think it was uh fair enough okay um but that doesn't change the fact that we invited a man who fought with the nazis into the house of commons to be honored that's that's all kinds of wrong breathtakingly dumb inexcusable and like i say it doesn't matter how why or anything uh, in terms of how he came to be a Nazi it doesn't doesn't enter into the conversation. But it does open up a broader conversation of the fact that there is some messy history when it comes to our country and our ties with the Nazis. And we need to have a conversation about that. So to help us make sense of all of that, we're going to speak with Jan Grabowski, who's a leading scholar at the University of Ottawa, uh, to talk about this situation. Um, Jan, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Hello. Did I get it? Is it, is it Jan? Or is it Jan? Jan is fine. Jan, Jan is okay. fine. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I should have checked beforehand. Um, okay, this incident um, reopened some old conversations. I mean, we've gone through this before in this country. Um, namely, the question being, why are there Nazis, people who served with the Nazis, freely living in Canada? Um, and it's a question that we wrestled with years ago, right? Let's go back to when we decided that this was something we were going to let happen, which takes us back uh, over 70 years, right? Right. I mean, basically, you know, if you have to uh, go all the way back to 1945, 46, 47 and so on, um, uh, you will see that Canadian immigration policy was really at a crossroads. Uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, uh, we officially won the war against the Nazis. Uh, on the other hand, we were entering so-called Cold War, uh, where the supreme threat uh, was now Soviet Union and communism. So basically, all the countries of the West, states and Canada included, uh, had to retool themselves to confront uh, this uh, new threat looming on the eastern horizon, right? Uh, so suddenly, you know, former former enemies um, uh, started to become more and more interesting as allies against uh, against this looming communist threat, and there was this rising sense, you know, of doom and gloom. Uh, so suddenly, these ex-Nazi soldiers became more, I say, respectable. Mm -hmm. uh, in German, there is a special word for it, salonfähig, so it means that they are now people are ready to admit to you to your, their living rooms. 
Um, and this is what happened. This, let's say, this 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 turn, um, which happened after the end of World War II. And what needs to be also, you know, remembered is that Canadian immigration policy was geared throughout the war uh, and before the war too strongly against the Jews. Uh, the Jews were seen by senior bureaucrats by the administration uh, in Ottawa as uh, basically carriers of uh, subversive left-leaning communist ideology. Um, and here you had, well, you know, allies of Adolf Hitler, former allies of Adolf Hitler, but, you know, with impeccable anti-communist credentials. Mm. Um, so this is, you know, what happened in the in late 40s when Canada, quietly without much advertising, decided to take thousands of uh, uh, among many others, uh, thousands of uh, Ukrainian members of uh, Waffen-SS Hawichna or Galician division, uh, which happened in 49-50. So that's, you know, very, very general uh, picture of the time. And, and then it's sort of, that was just the way things worked up until the 80s, right? And Brian Mulroney, I think, was the prime minister who said, hey, we need to, we need to do a deep mm. dive into this. What, what happened in the 80s when we decided to reopen this topic? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, the thing is that every generation basically looks at history in a very different way. And in the 1980s, the Holocaust has become an important point, which it was not before. Okay. Until 1970s, practically no one spoke about the Holocaust. In 1980s, there was a bit more awareness of, uh, of this genocide and it started to do, have an impact. And the impact came from abroad. It's not that, that Brian Laruni suddenly had the brilliant idea to reopen the books on the past. He was rather forced by Simon yeah. Wiesenthal Center and, and many other Jewish institutions institutions and not only Jewish institutions. And, you know, the problem was not only these ex-Waffen-SS people from Ukrainian 10th, 14th Division. Uh, we never, we don't, still don't know how many other ex-Nazis were let in. I mean, you have people from Slovakia, for instance, and all people of so-called Hlinka guards. How many came to, to Canada? We don't know. How many Ustasha from Croatia, staunch Nazi allies, how many of these people came? We don't know. We know that they did. Um, but uh, so so they reopened in 1980s this sort of investigation they formed in 1986 uh, in Ottawa, this uh, uh, Commission de Chênes or de Chênes Commission. Uh, which was sort of, you know, to inquire into the story. Um, but this commission didn't, first of all, we don't know exactly what they came up with because, you know, absurdity of the situation is astounding. We still have not seen the entire report of this commission 40 years after it has, nearly 40 years after it has been disbanded. So this is this shows to you the depth of the problem or self-denial that we are living in. 
so this commission came up with the idea that indeed, you know, the Ukrainian Waffen-SS was not a very nice uh, unit and they did uh, very bad things, but uh, you cannot, um, uh, let's say, attach blanket responsibility right. to all right. the members. Uh, however, you know, the Nuremberg trial said quite clearly, uh, we are sorry, all, all Waffen-SS units were criminal organizations. That's one. Um, so there was practically nothing that came out of this uh, commission in terms of policy, uh, which is, you know, very uh, damaging. And the fact that today, if I want to go to National Archives at Wellington Street in Ottawa, and I want to inquire into these things, as my colleague did last week, before the whole story started, my colleague working in Ottawa tried to access some of these files, there is, it's absolutely impossible. Now, now I'm speaking to you from Warsaw, Poland, where access is actually better to these things than in Canada. So, you know, this is this is a very complicated story, and uh, uh, if there is any lesson to be learned, uh, hopefully that uh, there are many lessons that should be learned, but one of them is we need to allow, or the government needs, has, to allow Canadians to have access to our own past. Yeah, exactly. Open up the records, and there's big calls for that now. Uh, you know, As you know, you mentioned the Simon Wiesenthal Centre, they're renewing calls to see those records, Soros Benet Brith, all kinds of groups say, we need to get to the bottom of this. Um, and I don't know I don't know how many of these Nazis are still here. I mean, we're going back seven years. You know, Hunka that we're talking about here is 98. I think a lot of them have probably passed on. <laughs> but there's other issues that yeah, we're dealing I mean, with, Jan, when you take a look at what's going on in Edmonton right now, because there's a monument to this military division. There's a statue um, commemorating somebody who served. Um, Hunka himself had an endowment at the University of Alberta. So it runs deep. It's not just this that they're living here. We've actually honored them in so many ways. Look, I mean, the thing is ongoing, I and mean, believe it or not, but the probably later next month in Ottawa, there will be an official unveiling of a huge monument of victims of communism, uh, something which has been in the works for the last 15 years. Now, this is sponsored by expatriate organizations of Polish Canadians, Ukrainian Canadians, Lithuanian Canadians, um, and uh, among many other things, they wanted to have on this monument, which was originally scheduled to be next to the Parliament Hill, now it's moved few hundred yards uh, to the west uh, in any case they were they were willing to uh, to go with commemorative plaques indicating the names of particularly you know honored respected people yeah. who fought against communism now you can imagine what were these names i'm not going to tell you but you can in the light sure. of this uh, latest a blow up, you can imagine that they were the names which would make this candle from last week seem like nothing, I can assure you. So we will see how this monument will, but this mem- as long as we have not dealt with the problem, these things will blow up in our faces. You know, this is one thing. And the second thing which really uh, it keeps gets me really bothered is how in Lord's name this fellow ever was allowed into the House of oh, Commons. Yeah. Look, I was recognized by the speaker last year. I got a prize and a scientific prize. I was very proud. But before I was let into the chain, into the hill, into the parliament, they ch- triple checked my CV over three months. They questioned me and queried me. Okay. Really? So something, yeah, something doesn't add up. Okay. I, 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 I'm not, I, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, but yeah. it simply does not add up. They spent three months vetting you, going through your background before you were allowed into the house? 
Look, I was I was awarded to, in prize in September. I had to submit all my papers by the end of September. In December, I was in uh, after several phone calls, re-establishing my credentials, so to say. Yeah. Uh, I was recognized by the Speaker of the House of Commons and applauded by the MPs. And as, a, as an immigrant, I felt very very proud. And now this honor is somehow diminished. So you know it's. It's it's very troubling, and you you should see the ferocity with which Russian Putin's propaganda played this Canadian scandal in international media. Uh, I have received requests a few hours after the thing blew up from Russian media agency Sputnik uh, to tell them something about the uh, about the role of fascist Ukrainians in Canada. Of oh, course, boy. I never uh, I never spoke up, but yeah. this is the kind. Of rea- international reaction, you know. So you know, it's it's very very strange situation. It is. What what what's the best recourse here? Like I say, I don't know how many of these people are still alive, but what do we? I mean, it's it seems to me like let's just be completely transparent. Let's open this all up and and come to some resolution because, like you say, there's so many different you know little wrinkles to this. What what would you recommend Canada do now to put this to rest once and for all, or can we? It- First of all, first of all, we have to we have to do what practically all other jurisdictions did, which is open the archives. And it, I don't care for privacy of you know um, information access. You have Parliament has the right to do it. The states did it. Germany did it. Okay, all Holocaust related, for instance, collections have been opened, whether there was a question of privacy or not. So just the same thing here. And the second, I propose that uh, some staffers from the from the Hill that they be sent. For for to, to to listen to a couple of let's say lectures in the history department at University of Ottawa, and will be very happy to open my lecture to them. Uh, so this, this thing like this won't happen again. I think it's a great idea. That's a good starting point. Uh, Jan, thank you so much for being here today. I do appreciate your time.